Welcome to the Black Mind Garden, the podcast that helps you retrain your brain so that you can have improved emotional, behavioral, and communication flexibility while you tackle life's daily challenges and opportunities. In this podcast, we plant new seeds that remap your mind and expand your listening by helping you to retrain that inner voice that sometimes stops us from producing the unimaginable results in our lives. So sit back. It's time to retrain your brain. And I am your host and trainer, Dr. Maisha. Hey. Have you ever thought about learning NLP or hypnosis or even being a coach? Even if you simply learn the skills of coaching, it could come in handy everywhere and in every area of your life. Our mind remapping NLP coach training will give you mastery over language, helping you to improve your confidence, communication, coaching, and leadership. So if you're committed to removing unconscious blocks so you can consciously elevate your performance in every area of life, Join our next training, schedule and training interest call at remapmymind.today. That's remapmymind.today. Hello, hello, and good morning in some places. No, it's good morning. Unless you listen from across the pond, it might be good afternoon. I'm Dr. Maisha, and welcome to a live episode of the Black Mind Garden, where we are remapping minds so you can create a life you design. I am super excited today because this is my new friend, and we connected from the start, and we have been talking about doing this amazing conversation. Now, you know, if you have seen the preview uh, that I posted, whether you're on YouTube, whether you're on Facebook with me, whether you're on LinkedIn with me, we're talking about the insider-outsider mindset, and this brother right here is just amazing. I can't wait to get into the conversation. I want to welcome Noah Prince of... Uh, his he is a consultant, a DIB consultant and coach, and I'm just really looking forward to having you in this conversation. How are you today, my friend? Oh man, Maisha, thank you. I'm feeling really alive, as I shared with you before we started this segment. I just I've been feeling a synergy with you again since we've met. I love connecting with human beings, especially. In this still pandemic and still viral era that we're in, uh, the energy is is transmitted. So I'm excited to be here and for this conversation we have ahead of us. Well, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for the conversations leading up to it. We've had a few. I really, you know, we have had our conversations and, and, and I've gotten to know you a bit. I would love for my audience to get to know who you are and how you've come to be where you are, like how you've come to do this type of coaching. Um, Share with us. Awesome. Please. And thank you. Yes. So uh, again, my name is Noah Prince and I, I would describe myself uh, in a couple of different ways. One of them, I suppose, would be that I'm a 45 year old, uh, white skinned, cisgendered, heterosexual male as far as some of my group identities. Um, I'm also a universal citizen. I consider myself definitely a traveler of the universe, not just this world. Um, I consider myself a poet, a reader, an educator, a student, and a creator. Um, 
my a little bit of my story is that my parents are first generation American. My dad's parents uh, actually literally escaped the Holocaust. And I was not born in this country. I was born in Iran, actually, in the 70s, uh, when my parents had spent almost a decade abroad uh, in the Peace Corps and teaching uh, English internationally. And I was born in Iran in the late 70s. And then we came back to the U.S. I grew up in a working class household, a Jewish working class household with parents that really believed in peace and justice and a global community. And uh, along the way, I've learned also a lot about some of my own social identities, which I started out by describing myself as, you know, what does it mean to be both have white skin and be a human being? What does it mean to be a man and be a human being? What does it mean to be able-bodied and be a human being? And unpacking some of that and connecting with others is a bit of my story. I love that your program is called the Black Mind Garden. I feel like gardens are minds where seeds are planted. And I've had a lot of culture, a lot of awareness, and a lot of knowledge poured in for me from teachers of different backgrounds over my life journey. And so I am also a recipient of love and wisdom from many ancestors and many living giants today. Wow. I I just love that. I mean, what I one of the things I loved is just the exploration of what does it mean to be? You know, what does it mean to be mm-hmm. a white man and a human being? Absolutely. What does it mean to be able bodied and a human being? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to be a black woman and a mm-hmm. human being? You know? Um, that, I have a question about that, Maisha. Yeah. Did you, this, this is for me, the paradox is that I haven't always had to think about being my skin color in order to experience my humanity. Mm-hmm. And I've heard, and I've learned over the course of time that particularly for people who don't necessarily have white skin in, in America, that's not necessarily a privilege or an option. Like people are like, no, I'm pretty, pretty aware of my group identities. I have to think about that for a lot of different mm-hmm. reasons. Was that part of your, you know, was that part of your development or were you different than that? You know, it's interesting because um, I think that it was always in the, in the, you know, in the, in the consciousness, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like you grow up and you know that you're a black girl Mm -hmm. and, and I grew up, you know, in Huntsville, Alabama, uh, 40 minutes down the street from Coleman, Alabama, which is one of the homes of the, of the KKK. Absolutely. And um, I was aware of that and I was aware of where I should not go. And mm-hmm. I was aware of the neighborhoods where I might not be welcomed. Right. Yeah. I was aware of that. Right. And it, it, in that, at that time, it didn't impact. And I think it's by the grace of my mom and who she was for me. It mm-hmm. didn't impact who I thought I was as a worthy human being. Mm-hmm as a person who could accomplish or could go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, interestingly enough, I didn't personally experience um, overt that I can remember racism until I actually moved to Atlanta mm-hmm. and went to college. And so I believe, you know, in retrospect, you know, hindsight's 2020, I really believe that my mom shielded me from a lot of that. There were things that I saw her do that I didn't understand that I now understand. Like she led with, I'm mm-hmm. Dr. Frazier. Mm-hmm. And I never understood why even 
in places where it wasn't, it didn't seem relevant. It didn't mm. seem relevant mm. that she would lead with, I'm Dr. Frazier. And now I get it. <laughs> when systems don't bestow necessary, when they're not necessarily built to bestow everyone their honor and dignity, your mother, it seems like, was teaching you to to claim that that sovereignty for yourself. That's right. That's amazing. And I'm struck that, yeah, you did have to think about on some level your skin color growing up. And it was probably about 14 years old when I really thought, oh, I'm a white guy, like 14. So there's. Wow. Yeah. 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 Very interesting. So, so this, as it sounds like that's a perfect segue into (laughs) (laughs) this insider outsider um, mindset. And um, but before we get to that, though, I'm yeah. sorry, audience, I'm going to put you on a cliffhanger for just a moment. Mm-hmm. I really want the audience to know what you do. Like, I know we're going to come back to it, but what is it that you do? Because contextually speaking, I think it's important what you do and kind of what your background is. Um, you're, you, you used to teach and yes. be an administrator. Yeah. In, in your, your, your background is education. Yeah. And you did some pretty cool stuff. So I don't want to let that slip by. <laughs> well, I know that. I, well, and actually, so a few things I'd say that uh, as a teenager, I was a knucklehead. I think I shared this with you. And and uh, I actually, I wasn't a bad person, but I definitely got into drugs and I got into kind of social rebellion like a lot of American teenagers do. Um, that's also the time I really began to think about my identity because in retrospect, there were decisions and choices I made in my life that I honestly believe if I had been a different gender or skin color in this country, I, I, I may not be in a place of comfort and success right now. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I think that's a big piece of to what I'm about to say. Mm-hmm. Um, nonetheless, when I was a teenager and I started getting back on track, it was largely because of, I would say, Black community in Seattle and Black artists and educators, as I was starting to get into the art scene and learn about my voice and creativity, I started meeting a lot of mentors and people from backgrounds and communities that I wasn't exposed to growing up in Seattle. Seattle has a long history of racial redlining and uh, and coded neighborhoods. So I really didn't even know there was these other parts to my city growing up until I went to a uh, Garfield High School. And I met these folks in my teenage years, and that started kind of reorienting my humanity. It kind of get started realizing I had a voice. Maybe there were reasons why I was even rebelling or acting in a rebellious way because I didn't necessarily align with the adult society I saw laid ahead of me, but I didn't have the words or the analysis for that. And a lot of creators and community organizers helped me find place and community and that voice. And that was powerful for me as a human being as a white man and as a youngster developing into my formative years as, you know, moving into young adulthood. Um, from there, I actually ended up uh, getting, uh, going through a program called Running Start and then going to the Evergreen State College Tacoma campus, which is a famous university in uh, Washington that was founded by black women to take a public education model into the community in a way that would be of service and upliftment to that community. I actually have a BA in Black Feminist Thought, and uh, had the honor. I do that. (laughs) (laughs) That one. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So from fourteen, like I'm a white boy, to twenty-one, I got a BA in Black Feminist Thought. That was (laughs) that's where those 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 awareness years kicked. Wow. 
<laughs> Let me sip my tea while you talking. <laughs> you know, like, uh, and so that was, it got to even uh, learn from from the from from the presence of bell hooks during part of that course. The late the late bell hooks, the great bell hooks. So that was a powerful, powerful piece for me. From there, I, w- I knew I wanted to go into education as a platform to connect connect with other youth um, and really bring a racial equity lens and a creation uh, creative lens and a social justice lens into that. I spent about 10 years in the classroom, both in Philadelphia and then back on the West Coast in the Seattle area, became an administrator for Seattle Public Schools, doing so, uh, racial equity work. And then about 11 years ago, uh, I'm, I'm 45 now, I'm about to be 45. About 11 years ago, I was challenged by, in a good way, supported and challenged by a lot of my community that know me for a long time, appreciated the ways I was striving to show up as an ally striving to show up because I, I am of the mindset that people bestow the term allyship upon you. You don't just claim that for yourself if you're an insider. But as I was striving to behave like an ally, I had a lot of communities say, man, we love the ways you showed up, but you haven't necessarily tapped in with other white men all these years. And it's true. I had not for a lot of different complex reasons. Mm. From self-love, maybe even, and self-awareness to how do I meet people that are in a way different part of their journey that also share some of the identities that I share and some of the cultural insiderness in this country. Mm-hmm. You know, I, taking it all the way back to my teenage years when I read the autobiography of Malcolm X, he suggested that white people can really do a lot of good for this movement, particularly when they're willing to undo white supremacy or racism in their own communities. Mm-hmm. So I've been on that journey of humility, learning, practice, love, and growth for about 11 years now. I work with a couple different companies, um, helping white men unpack our identities and then not necessarily get into guilt and shame, although guilt may come up from time to time, but seek responsibility, deeper connection, and a deeper sense of humanity by leaning into being intentionally inclusive and understanding diversity even better. So I do, I help lead workshops. I do personal coaching. I do a variety of engagement um, activities to pull white male leadership into this conversation and into this work of diversity and inclusion, because we all benefit from systems of equity and belonging. That is powerful. And I remember when we had that conversation, I thought, you know, that I think that's just a super powerful place to be utilizing um like your 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 background your your expertise pulling white men into this conversation of dismantling systemic race, racism and oppression and um perpetuating equity and justice you know um there's this word this new word that i have I learned i i i Keynoted at a conference a couple of weekends ago at uh, Southern Illinois, Illinois University School of Medicine. That is, that is a mouthful. Every time I that say is it. a mouthful. Southern Illinois University School of Medicine. <laughs> well done, doctor. Well done. Right. It's not like Morehouse School of Medicine. Three words. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the, my, so the the other the other doc who keynoted uh, she closed she she opened the pre session and closed the conference. Um, she amazing amazing um, doctor. Uh, she um, talked about this word collaboration. Uh, yeah, Doctor Angel Palermo, collaboration, mm-hmm. and it was the first time I had heard this word. Right mm-hmm. that. That moving from you know 
there's the, the she did the stair step, like just the allyship, and then there's uh, you know the the co-conspirator accomplice, mm-hmm. but then there's collaboration mm-hmm. and the idea that your liberation is tied to mine. And what I can see and hear is in this conversation of bringing white men into this conversation, like really having them see that their liberation is tied to our liberation and every other oppressed, um, you know, community that exists in this nation and world. Absolutely. That is 100% my, my gospel. Um, and there's, there's a couple of different reasons why one, I think sometimes in this country, liberation is presented like many things as an individual act. And I literally don't think their liberation exists without the collective. It's not an, like an, in, I, I think an individual can get enlightened, can get aware, can practice, can deepen. But to me, liberation is like you're saying, it's, it's, it's a societal thing. It's where life is connected and, and really honoring and, and, and working to create that sense for each of its members. Um, so I love that. I also, you know, the, I, I don't necessarily lead, lead like this in my corporate work right off the bat, though it right. informs everything I do. I would say that I, um, I am of the belief that race itself, skin color is a man-made on one level uh, concept. And it's a, a white made concept that yeah. categorized white skin uh, and, and a, and a racial hierarchy or caste system above black skin with a couple of different categories in there. And to really justifying the transatlantic slave trade during European Christendom and, and colonialism in, in the 1600s and moving forward. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's, that's a lot of dense history, but I do believe it's m- that mindset and the societies we built around that mindset uh, have in many ways, um, dehumanized people with white skin so that white people has become this actual entity, but the humanity underneath it and some of the awareness of that history and how we got there is missing. And I think those are the missing keys that can help bring us in close relationship with people and planet, at least from our group journey and all of this as white people mm-hmm. to a healthier place within ourselves and relationships with others. I don't come into this from, condemning individuals although i I come into it from a real strong sense of love and accountability to each other and to Mm -hmm. our planet yeah so so as we talk about you know there's a lot of it's interesting there's a lot of polarity as we talk about collaboration as we've been talking with that that really aligns with this insider outsider mindset so Mm -hmm. talk a little bit more about this about the insider outsider you haven't explicitly said it although we've been alluding to it we've been dancing inside of it. I want, I want you to talk a little bit about it more overtly. Absolutely. So insider outsider mindset is a framework that really I began using um, with other consultants in an organization called white men is full diversity partners. One of the companies that I work with that does this work. And it's I be, uh, coined by a gentleman named Michael Brazell within that. And it's really, it's for me, it's the idea of beginning to get, Folks who maybe have had an insider or social privilege experience, which I'll unpack in a moment, to not feel guilty about diversity and inclusion, but to feel responsible, curious, and aware, and to be responsible for their curiosity and awareness and practice. And so insider-outsider really suggests the idea that every organization, every country, every group of people has a culture, unwritten Customs, rituals, 
practices, ways of coming together to organize, to get work done or to socially organize themselves. And all cultures, in my opinion, have strengths and weaknesses or or uh, I don't even say good or bad, just just things that are, work really well and some challenges to them. That's period. Yeah. I also believe every culture has insiders and outsiders. Insiders are usually people in positions of power in that organization, people that influence um, the ways that 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 people behave and act towards each other. People whose own backgrounds are often mirrored and shared by others in leadership uh, positions of power in that organization. Uh, and that insiders are often very unaware of their group status. Notice earlier, I said I was about 14 when I said, oh, I'm a white guy, which is probably a lot later than you saying to yourself, oh, I'm a black girl in whatever in Mississippi. And so insiders are often very unaware of their membership status. And therefore we tend to think everyone can move like, for instance, a cisgendered person or a white male in this organization, because I'm just an individual. And however I show up is how you can show up if you choose to do so too. Mm-hmm. There's a piece to that that's true. We all have our individual flavor, mm-hmm. but there's a whole piece that's divorced, kind of a cognitive dissonance from our group identities, which also matter for many insiders. Mm-hmm. Another interesting thing about insiders and outsiders is kind of this idea of intersectionality that Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw, right, introduced in the 80s, which is that we have multiple dimensions to our diversity. So I could be an insider in the sense that white, male, heterosexual, cisgender, middle-class men tend to be in a lot of positions of leadership in many organizations. Mm-hmm. I might be an outsider and that my family uh, has Jewish heritage or that I'm, I'm uh I am white and I'm also the father of a black daughter. So there's some ways in which my lived experience can be outside of that insiderness too. Mm -hmm. You could be um, a black heterosexual male and have kind of the maleness and the heterosexual piece inside or pieces of your identity with Mm -hmm. something that you may not even understand. And at the same time have black skin, which may, which is not necessarily included within the racial I would say hierarchy of America at the top. So there's complexity to this and different different ways for us to stand our insiderness and outsiderness. The key is once you understand the ways that you are an insider, how do you move towards that with responsibility, self-love and a growth mindset? And how do you connect with other insiders to advocate, to speak up and to learn about inclusion for outsiders in your organization in whatever group that is. So how do you, how do white people work with white people to speak out against racism? How do men work with men to speak out against sexism? How do heterosexual people work with heterosexual people to speak out against heterosexism? Those types of actions. Otherwise, what we often see is outsiders asked to advocate if there's a challenge at all. Many times the culture is not ready for those voices. So they tend to uh, label, blame, judge those voices as being militant or the race or gender card or complaining. And so there's this whole backlash. Mm-hmm. Those outsiders often adversely feel their career right. being impacted, may leave that organization. And then insiders are sitting there not practicing these skills of intervention on unconscious bias, not practicing role modeling vulnerability, not practicing exploring my deeper humanity, which wants to speak up maybe at a higher level of inclusion for everyone around me. Mm -hmm. And and the two ends of that, that's the opposite of liberation. We got oppression and we've got like kind of 
uh, almost an, an unconscious bias lens going on for the inside. Yeah, yeah. it's like um, there's like a <laughs> I, I'm gonna use this term and I, there's there's a there, in in some ways there's a a mental imprisonment exactly inside of one's privilege yes. that doesn't allow for connecting with the the universal collect the the universal human experience. Absolutely. Um, it's so interesting that I love I love the way you distinguished insider outsider. It reminds me of, um, you know, it's like social location mm-hmm. and the and the spectrum mm-hmm. of social location mm-hmm. and and how the complexity arises and and that's one thing that we know about um, white supremacism culture is it doesn't allow for the complexity. It's very black and white. It's very in or out, right? As opposed to you know, the complexity of there may be some ways where I am closer to the center of social location. And there are some ways where I am closer to the edge and my social location. Absolutely. And I, I love how you distinguish that, right? And to be able to see where you are, um, because it's interesting, we, we did this exercise in one of the, the companies that we consult with, with, mm-hmm. with the executive um, senior leadership team. Mm-hmm. And um, some of the some of the black male and female leaders uh, recognized they were like, oh, I'm not as far off on the edge as I thought that I was. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, um, there, you know, there's this complexity along the along the leadership team. And Absolutely. it's just interesting to like you said, to to be able to be responsible for where you do have that privilege and power uh, and and to advocate for those who are at the at the, you know, the, 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 the latter edges of that, of that wheel, like, Absolutely. like you said, have the outsider ness going on. Absolutely. I mean, one of the ways that whether we ter- use the term white supremacy, which I do use, or uh, just racial, racial unconscious bias or gender unconscious bias also manifests is not just amongst on a group level amongst people with white skin or, or, or men, um, you, you know, back to the idea of the individual, any individual from any background can, um, oh, with different, different sets of challenges can potentially climb their way to the top of an organizational structure within our economy, within the way we're set up in capitalism. Mm-hmm. And, and for a variety of reasons, that person might not have brought along the way with them an inclusive mindset, mm-hmm. an appreciation of diversity, or equity as a strategy. So sometimes a woman or a person of color can even be a gatekeeper against younger generations in an organization that has not bred inclusion diversity itself. It's, right. it's complex in that sense. Yeah, when you have sort of like an internalized, you know, sort of internalized mindset of privilege of, yeah. or of, of, you know, that, that ism. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's a pain, right? Like, because I mean, even white men had to, I think, sacrifice some of our humanity in certain ways or energy or whatever you want to call it to get to the top of that. But it's it can be even more for others who went through oppression, like you said, internalized it, don't even recognize that they've then turned around and pushed it back on someone else. Right. So it, it, there's systems work to be undone here. And there's ways that I think insiders and outsiders can do their own group work within that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that people are maintaining um, everything from he- mental health and community support to challenge each other, and then I think there's a way we can come together within that and really work for systems. It's- mm-hmm. Yeah, we've got a lot of work to do. <laughs> <laughs> we've 
got a lot of work to do. And you know what I think is, which is why I, I, I appreciate the work that you do is we've got also a lot of trauma to unpack in, in all communities, right? You know, um, there is, I can imagine that, um, so there's, there's the obvious trauma to the oppressive communities, right? To the black community, to other, other oppressed communities, um, identities. And, and I can imagine for some, maybe not for all, cause some people are still sleeping, um, that for, for some who are, um, white bodied people to, to imagine their, that their lineage, their bloodline is connected to such, um, heinous acts, mm-hmm. you know, like that, that would mean that they're connected to, even though they didn't maybe directly do those things, exactly. that there are some things to unpack about that, like some trauma to unpack around that, right? That they inherited a particular conversation bred out of violence and, um, you know, supremacy. Like, I mean, if if I woke up and found out that my great grandfather did these things, I might feel some kind of way too. Or, or and I might not even understand that and still be of in some ways living in the blueprint of that. For example, right. my parents came to Seattle in the late seventies, and they wanted to eventually. First, they were looking at a, a at a house on the south end of the city that really interested them in a diverse neighborhood. And the real estate agent actually um, showed them a property on the north end of the city, which historically, due to racial redlining, really has been only for white people to have access to. Mm -hmm. And so I say that to say that my first generation American parents now have like a one point something million dollar nest egg, which that's how generational wealth is, is is begun to be created. So sometimes it's like, yeah, sometimes there's like this intense feeling of like, I can't connect to my family's maybe slave owning or racially violent past Mm -hmm. um, towards others. Sometimes it's like, I'm not even aware of how, how it's sensitizes my, my life's journey has gotten to where I'm growing up here. And, and the, and again, back to this idea of humanity, when I'm living in that state, divorced from those realities, I don't think my full on communal development as a person, my citizenship development as a national citizen is fully in tune. I think that I'm living a pretty sanitized um, version of that. And I think that's where some of the deep benefits for particularly white people in these pressing times, if they're willing to do anti-racist work, can kick in. It's like, no, it's a bigger world. There's bigger people. I come from this. I'm connected to this. And I can help change the direction of this, too, if I want to roll up my sleeves and become involved. And so for me, that's a big piece of it. They've got, but, th- but there's got to be some willing, willingness to be uncomfortable. Absolutely. There's got to be some willingness to experience some grief, Absolutely. you know, um, and, and some pain and some hurt and, and some confusion and, and to be in more question than answer, right. To Absolutely. be in, in a state of non-closure, right. This and is part of the work. And I think that's the that's the, that's the place where there's, there's historically been a stop. Like I can't handle, like, I can't, you know, like that, you know, there's, there's no resilience for this work in, in the white, in the white community as a, at large. And what's my narrative beyond, so exactly everything you said, plus one to the, whatever, but, and then, and then on the flip side, and then when I've begun to do that work, how do I, 
we always expect as insiders people to find themselves in our organizations. Have you ever found your humanity in a, in, in a black image of God as a white person? Have you found your humanity in the arts expressed or the book or the words or ideas expressed by people that don't look like you? If not, no, you, there's a there, there's a huge opportunity to grow and go deeper mm-hmm. and learn more about yourself. But we have got to be able, as you said, to step out of some of that centeredness on insiderness, some of that comfort and look for something deeper. And part of that is us supporting, challenging each other to do it. Part of that is working in partnership with others so that we're held accountable to do that. And we're growing together, whatever your inside group is. Wow. Well, I tell you what, (laughs) that's a a beautiful place to pause. This is is just, I mean, I think that, it comes full circle to collaboration. Indeed. Indeed. Full circle. Like that's just, it's beautiful. Um, we used to call it symbiosis. I mean, my symbiosis. friends, we, we would practice. I like, we're symbiotic. We're like clownfish and anemones. Like we're living in the same ecosystem. We're taking care of, we see each other. So it's not just we're tolerating each other. We see each other and we're putting that, uh, that work with our, our talents to make this flourish. So yeah, co-liberation, baby. I love, I love that symbiosis. <laughs> <laughs> you say a clownfish and a, where would you anemone. say? Anemone. 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 Watch how they live. There's two creatures that are like totally different. It looked like they kill each other or whatever. And there's like, no, they really intertwine to make a healthy ecosystem. Listen, your teacher, your, your teacher educator, you know, <laughs> just came right on out. <laughs> like, let me go with my science. Book. My son is in the second grade. So I'm having to learn all that stuff again, all of it. Well, you know, my son told, came to me today talking about, uh, not, not today, but yesterday, you know, I want to learn multiplication. I'm like, Oh, really? <laughs> like you to- better relearn multiplication. <laughs> I'm like, man, the new math. I'm going right? to learn some new math. <laughs> you know, but that's what this is, too. Even when we're talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, yeah. gender norms, or any of this stuff. Gender, I, I mean, it's, it's learning the new math. It's, it's learning the new math. Learning the new math. <laughs> Thank you for this, Dr. Maisha. I've thoroughly enjoyed this. Oh, so have I. So I, I all, of course, want to know... Um, or want my audience to know, like, if they want to get with you, if they want to coach with you, hire you to come speak, do a workshop, you know, whatever, all the things, right? Say, hey, you know, I want you on my podcast, you know? (laughs) (laughs) How do they reach out to you? How, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Awesome. Thank you for that offering. Um, definitely, I would say my LinkedIn platform. I, 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 I bring coaching services and I bring facilitation services to different organizations in the public and private sector. And uh, meeting me on my LinkedIn and having a conversation from there as to the best ways I can help leaders or an organization move forward and help the insiders in an organization in particular uh, get on that journey. Um, LinkedIn is probably my my central clearinghouse for that. Cool, cool, cool. So connect with Noah Prince on LinkedIn. He's got some fire content. I, I you know, before we actually connected, I, I had been following you for a while. I think I shared that with you. Yes. And then kind of commenting and, you know, engaging for a while. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> Let's talk. Let's talk. So um, we will have all of this information you all in our show notes. If you are um, with me on YouTube, we'll put it in the description so that you can access Noah and um, reach out to him. 
find him on LinkedIn as well and follow him and connect with him if you want to engage with him directly. Thank you. So thank you so much for coming on and having this dialogue. You know, I said it before we even started. This is the first of a few, you know, so I I expect that we're going to be having another conversation soon. And, and, you know, I love chopping it up with you. I really do. I love chopping it up with you and I'm looking forward to what we can build in the future. Thanks. Absolutely. Well, y'all, so I wish what I want you to do, audience, you know, I, I, first of all, I, I thank you for your listen, because I know without um, the audience, there is no podcast. I would love it if you went and shared this episode with someone, with a family member, with a colleague, with a friend, and, you know, leave a review, leave a review to let us know what you thought of this episode, what you think of the podcast, because that's how we get the word out. That's how we spread this message. That's how we make a difference. So go share this episode, go leave a review and let us know that, let, let us know that we are making a difference here in your world. And so with that, I bid you adieu. You all have, oh, you're so welcome, Gail. (laughs) Um, And so I bid you adieu. I will look forward to seeing you all on the next one. Have a wonderful rest of the day and a wonderful rest of the week. Namaste, y'all. Namaste. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening. Remember, I want you to apply these principles in your life every day, but also I want you to share this podcast with others in your life who you think it could help, a friend, a colleague, or family member. And remember, go hit the subscribe button so you will know when our next episode is released. Finally, I'd really appreciate if you did me a favor and left a review. It really lets others know that this podcast can make a difference in their life as well. See you on the next episode.